Well, good morning, sisters and brothers. Uh, we're looking today at uh, that passage we've just read just now, uh, Galatians 4, 25, 21 to chapter 5, uh, verse 1. So I'll get, get you to open up that. Uh, if you have that in front of you, uh, let me lead us in prayer and we begin. Uh, thank you, Heavenly Father, that you speak to us by your Spirit through your Word. And we ask that you speak to us now as we look at this passage. Uh, we pray that you help us to uh, really appreciate the wonderful goodness you've shown to us in Christ, and that we might love and serve him always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Are you a slave or a child? Are you a slave or a child? When you serve God, do you serve God to get his approval and avoid his punishment? Or do you serve him because you love him and you want to honor him? Do you try to be good in order to get to heaven and escape hell? Or do you try to be good because he is, he is good and he is your father who loves you? Are you a slave or a child? In the first two chapters of Galatians, uh, the Apostle Paul was astonished that the Galatians were moving away from the gospel of Christ. The gospel, which Paul knew came from Jesus himself, was being attacked by a group of people from Jerusalem whom we call the Judaizers. And they were saying that faith in Christ is not enough for salvation. We know their tune from the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 15 verse 1, we find out what the false teachers were saying. They said, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And again, in Acts 15 verse 5, speaking about the Gentiles, they say, it is necessary to circumcise them and order them to keep the law of Moses. In other words, they were saying that to be saved, people had to keep that law that God gave Moses 1,500 years before on Mount Sinai. See, it's not just an issue of sanctification, this is an issue of justification. It's an issue of both how you get in and how you stay in. This is about salvation. And they were saying that to be saved, you have to be circumcised and keep the law. But we saw already in Galatians, the Jews themselves couldn't keep the law. Over and over again, their history was one of failure in that regard. And so they could not be justified, that is, they could not be declared righteous by God, the righteous judge on the last day, on the basis of observing the law. By the works of the law will no one be justified. But thank God that he made another way, that is, to be justified by faith in Christ. If we have faith in Christ and we are united with Christ by faith, spiritually we are together, we are one. So you can say, as Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. If we are crucified with Christ, we are together with him. Our sins are counted as his, his righteousness is counted as ours. And when he died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sins. So what is left is his righteousness, which he shares with us. And so it is perfectly right for God, the righteous judge, 
on the last day to look at us and say, you are righteous. We are justified. And since it's faith that unites us to Christ, you can say we have been justified by faith. The problem is, these Gentile Galatians, having been justified by faith, are being influenced to go backwards and start observing the Jewish law. And Paul is exasperated with this. Back in chapter 3, he reminded them that they received the Spirit not when they obeyed the law, but when they believed in Jesus. He said, look, you are like Abraham. Remember Abraham? Abraham believed God, the Old Testament says, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He heard God's promises. He trusted God's word. God considered him righteous. It was about believing. He was justified, declared righteous, by faith. On the other hand, when the law came, it was not about believing, it was about doing. We see that very clearly in chapter 3, verse 10 to 11. Right? It came with a stipulation that cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. If you don't do it, then you're cursed. The law is about doing. But Jesus died to take the curse for the believers who otherwise would have been stuck under the law. He was cursed for them to release them from the law. And now that they're released from the law and they come to God by faith, the same blessing, the blessing of Abraham, justification by faith, is not only theirs, they can go to the Gentiles as well. Because you see, both Jews and Gentiles are under sin. Scripture says in 3 verse 22, God imprisoned everything under sin. And for Jews, this is expressed in the law. But the Gentiles, well, they were not under the law in the same way as the Jews, were they? They were enslaved to what our translation calls the elemental spirits of the universe. That is, a similar enslavement as the law, because the underlying principle is still the same. You do wrong, you get punished. You do good, you get rewarded. That was Adam and Eve in the garden. That's how God treat people at Judgment Day. That was the heart of the law. And if we are part of any religious system apart from the gospel, then we, we really are part of this. At one level, we might be serving a god or a demon or a philosophy of some sort, but in the end, if we do good and get rewarded, if we do wrong, get punished, that's, that's, that's it. That's the ABC of how the world works. That's the basic. And friends, because we are sinful, that is slavery. Because we are never good enough. The Jews couldn't obey the law. Pagans who didn't have the law couldn't keep what they knew. Both were under sin. If you're under this system, you're enslaved. But Jesus redeemed his Jewish people from the curse of the law by his death on the cross. He took the curse, he brought them out from under the curse so they can be justified by faith like Abraham. And not just them, he died for the Gentiles as well. Also enslaved from sin. So they can come to God by faith alone, receive the Spirit. So he tells the Galatians, if you're Abraham, if like Abraham, you hear God's promises and you trust him, God considers you righteous. You don't need the law. So why the law in the first place? Well, Paul says it's like a guardian to watch over a kid until he's grown up. doesn't need it anymore. That's what happened with the Jews. 
the law was necessary for a time. They can see what's right, presumably to teach them what's the basics lie. Do wrong, get punished, do good, get rewarded, to prepare them for the gospel. But now, he says, when the right time came, the time for them to be released from the law, God sent his son. He lived perfectly under the law, doing everything the law requires from the heart, so he could redeem his Jewish believers from the law so they don't need it anymore. They can have full adoption as sons and also the Gentiles who are enslaved to having to do good to be accepted by God but never been good enough. Jesus redeems us also so that we're not slaves but children. Not slaves but sons. Right? Paul uses the word sons for both men and women because in Christ there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, Male or female, we are one in Christ. We relate to God on the same basis. We are all heirs. Right? Something that only sons were in that society. And so we've been all given God's spirit like his son, Jesus. And we can call God Abba, Father. Now, the problem which we saw last week again is that these Gentile Christians are already picking up things from the law. They've begun to observe special seasons and days and years the way the Jews did. And now they were about to get circumcised as well, become full-blown Jews, Jewish converts. You see, they'd been saved from the elemental things of the universe, the ABCs. But now, if they're going to go back under the law, they're going to go back under that again. And last week we saw Paul passionately begging them not to do that. That's not progress. You're going from being free to bondage, from being sons to slaves. And to illustrate this, to make it stark and bold, he draws upon a picture from the Old Testament in our passage today. A picture of a slave and a son. So we pick up the illustration in verse 21 of chapter 4. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Now we heard that story in our Old Testament reading today, isn't it? Right? The slave woman was Hagar, Abraham's slave, and her son was Ishmael. The free woman was Sarah, Abraham's wife, and her son was Isaac. The son of the slave woman, verse 23, was born according to the flesh. Right? It was a natural birth, but bear in mind we have a fallen nature. It was a birth that came about actually because Abraham failed to trust God to keep his promises at that point. He took things into his own hands. It was according to the flesh. The son of the free woman, verse 23, was born through promise. It was a supernatural birth. Abraham and Sarah were too old to have children. God gave them Isaac in fulfillment of his promises. Right? Promises that will end up with Jesus, actually. Now, Paul is going to use this to illustrate his point. Guided by the Holy Spirit, he tells us in verse 24, that Hagar and Sarah allegorically represent two covenants. That is, they illustrate, they show, they share the essence of two covenants. What two covenants? Well, on the one hand, you have the Sinai covenant, 
right? The covenant in which God gave the law to Moses and the people agreed to obey it. They'd be blessed in the land if they did. They'd be cursed if they didn't. Right? The covenant's also called the law of Moses. It is a covenant based on doing. Covenant number one. Now, Paul doesn't actually identify the second covenant in this passage. Presumably, he either means the new covenant, the covenant in which sins are remembered no more because of the death of Jesus for us, the covenant in which the Spirit writes the law in our hearts, which we know God personally, the new covenant, or he could mean the covenant with Abraham, where God made promises to Abraham, and Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, or actually both at the same time, because this co- both these covenants operate on the same principle, the same promises. It's not about doing It's about hearing God's word and believing him. So covenant number two. Now, which covenant goes with Hagar, the slave woman? Which covenant goes with Sarah, the free woman? Now, if you ask any Jew, they would identify themselves with who? With Isaac, isn't it? Not Ishmael. He was, after all, their ancestor. So they would have said that their mother is Sarah. And at one level, fair enough. But Paul's not going to let them do that. Because the controlling factor in this illustration is not genetic ancestry, but slavery and freedom. And the law we have seen enslaves people. You are righteous by doing, but you can never do enough. The gospel brings freedom. You're righteous by believing God's promise depends on him, not you. And so Paul boldly identifies Hagar in verse 24 with Mount Sinai, where God gave Moses the law and says that she bears children for slavery. Now, how shocking would that have been to the Jews? He is saying that Hagar's spiritual children are the Jews who are under the law, centered in the literal physical city of Jerusalem. The present Jerusalem that had rejected Christ, that was still under control of those who wanted to to obey the law, the Jews in Judaism. And he says in verse 25, now Hagar in Mount Sinai in Arabia, she corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. On the other hand, the free woman, Sarah, is identified in verse 26 with the Jerusalem that is above. The true Jerusalem, the place where God's king, Jesus, reigns. The citizens of Jerusalem are all the people who belong to Jesus. Paul says in verse 26, the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be no more, will be more, sorry, than the one, than those of the one who has a husband. Right now, the quote uh, is from Isaiah 54, verse 1, uh, in the Old Testament, written 600 years before this. Uh, And of course, you know what comes before Isaiah 54 is Isaiah 53. Uh, And in Isaiah 53, Isaiah prophesied about the coming of Jesus, the suffering servant. 
Uh, he would die to pay for the sins of God's people on their behalf. Uh, he would cause many to be declared righteous, to be justified before God. And because, God, because he did that, God would raise him and reward him. All that in Isaiah 53, and then straight away in Isaiah 54, God causes people to rejoice. The barren one shall sing for joy. The desolate one will have many children. And her offspring, it says, it will go on to say, will possess many nations because God, her husband, will have compassion on her. Now, who is this barren one? It is God's people, Jerusalem. The ones for whom the servant died. The ones he came to save. Not the literal, physical Jerusalem down the street in the Middle East, but the real Jerusalem, the one that is above, that consists of God's true people, saved by the suffering servant, from all over the world. Friends, if we trust in Jesus, then Jerusalem above, which is free, is our mother. We belong to her. We are citizens of that Jerusalem. We are children of the free woman, not children of the slave woman. So by implication, we are children of Sarah, not children of Hagar. And so Paul says in verse 28, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. We exist supernaturally. We exist because God kept his promise. He promised to send the suffering servant to die for our sins and rise again, and he did. And by his death and resurrection, he has formed a new people, the Jerusalem that is above. And we are part of this people, not by doing but by hearing God's promises and trusting him. We are children of promise. So do you see the picture Paul's painting here? Hagar, Ishmael, Sinai, the present Jerusalem, Judaism. Sarah, Isaac, the Jerusalem and above, believers. Look what he says in verse 29. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. It's just an observation. Ishmael persecuted Isaac. The Jews were persecuting the believers. Now we will see in chapter 6 that the persecution would have stopped if the Gentile Christians had been circumcised, but the ones born of the flesh persecuted and kept persecuting the ones born of the Spirit. And now here's Paul's punchline, the command, verse 30. What does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. All right, back in Abraham's time, the son of the slave would inherit together with the son of the man's wife as long as the slave was in the household. Right, but if the slave were given her freedom, then he wouldn't. And God told Abraham that Isaac would be his heir. And so Abraham had to take decisive action in obedience to God. He had to send Hagar and Ishmael away, trusting God to look after them, which he did, just like he had to trust God with Isaac in that sacrifice earlier. And just as Abraham had to take decisive action for the sake of God's promises, the Galatians had to do the same. Cast out the slave woman and her son, God says. Get rid of law-keeping as the way of salvation. 
Get rid of the people who are trying to bring you back under the law. Stop listening to them. Cast out Judaism from Christianity. You are not, verse 31, children of the slave, but of the free woman. Christ sets believers free, chapter 5, verse 1, from the law, from the elemental principles, from having to earn our salvation. So Gentiles, you stand firm. You don't go back to the slavery of the law. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Well, brothers and sisters, we are not in danger of becoming Jews, are we? We're not going to adopt the law of Moses. Don't think anyone's going to get circumcised and start obeying the food laws and the Jewish festivals and all those things here. So how does this apply to us? I'm going to think a few things. First of all, do beware of legalism. Don't go back to law-keeping, to doing as a way of salvation. Following the Old Testament law is not the only way to go back to to rule-keeping as a way to be saved, is it? Some forms of Christianity will do that as well. They'll pile you up with all kinds of rules and regulations that you have to follow in order to be right with God. That's still legalism. Sometimes, no one does it to us, we do it to ourselves. Also, that's not right now. God loves us and accepts us as his children in Christ. We don't have to prove ourselves to him by keeping the rules in order, in order to be accepted. Now, of course, God will teach us. If he's our father, then he will teach us, he will train us, he will change us, he will discipline us as his children. That's why he's given us the spirit to change us, make us want to obey him. Of course, we must love him and love one another. Of course, we must do what is right. And we will see that the next part in, the, uh, in, in, in chapters 5 and 6. But all that we do, not in order to be saved, but because we have been. We don't do that in order to make God love us, but because he does. We don't do that in order to be accepted by God because our acceptance is one in Jesus. We're accepted by God. We are righteous, not by rule-keeping, but by hearing his promises, believing his gospel. Sometimes we might forget. We start thinking that our acceptance as God is based on doing rather than trusting in what Jesus has done. You know, sometimes when we sin, instead of looking to the cross in repentance and faith and confessing our sins and trusting in the death of Jesus to to rescue us, what do we try and do? We try to save ourselves. Maybe we try and do something good to make up for the wrong things that we've done. You ever do that? Don't lie. Because, you know, you think, okay, if I do something good, that I kind of balance out that bad thing. Friends, that is the doing way, not the hearing with faith way. If you do that, let me tell you what's going to happen. Uh, first of all, it will hide your sin from your own eyes, right? Because if we do that, then we think, okay, lah, we're okay because it's balanced off, right? Crossed out uh, with something else. So in the end, what I, don't, I don't really repent of my sin. And I don't really change. And sin is never really confronted and weeded out of my life. It's just kind of balanced off with something else. So don't try that. 
Another reason we wear of legalism is because it, it robs Jesus of the glory because actually he's the only one who can deal with sin in your life and mine. By dealing it within a doing kind of way, we kind of pretend that we can atone for our own sin. And we don't really appreciate the gospel. In the end, we end up thinking we've got to do this and do this and do this and do this in order to be saved. And in the end, we won't be because we won't be trusting Jesus, which is really all we need to do. We end up trusting ourselves. Another reason to avoid legalism is because it affects the way we relate to God. It will rob you of joy in his service. Instead of delighting to serve him as the father who loves you and gave his son for you, instead of joyfully serving him as a son, you will treat him as a slave treats his master whom he fears but despises. You do good to keep him happy. You restrain from doing evil to stop him from being angry. You'll be like a slave, not like a child. If you're a child, you serve your father, not because you're scared of his curse, but because you love him. Because you're part of the family. So the family business is your business. You do good because you're in the family. That's what the family does. You're like your father because his spirit is in your heart. Brother, sister, you're not a slave. You're a son. Don't relate to your father like a slave. Don't go back to law-keeping to win God's favor. Don't go back to law-keeping to be saved. Beware of legalism. And secondly, don't, second big application is don't go back to slavery by going away from Christ. You know, I don't know if there's anyone here, I hope not, I don't know if there's anyone here who may one day even be tempted to leave the faith for some reason. Maybe get attracted to what some other religion offers. Maybe for the purpose of marriage. Maybe you're, actually you just don't want to get involved in any religion. Too many restrictions, I want to be free, just do whatever I want. That kind of freedom is actually slavery, isn't it? You have freedom in Christ from having to earn your salvation. If you leave Christ, you're back under the elementary principles. And that is slavery, not freedom. Back to relying on your own performance for salvation. And you can try all you like, I promise you, you will never be good enough. Don't ever go back to slavery. Thirdly, remember, we're not under the Sinai Covenant, nor do we want to be. That is slavery, not freedom. Now, some people might think of Sinai Covenant as a very attractive way of relating to God because, well, God promised Israel in Deuteronomy he would bless them in the land with abundant physical blessing, with health, wealth, victory, if they obey him. And since Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever, if you obey God, he will give you health, wealth, and victory. Now, I know this is not actually classic prosperity gospel. That's different again, right? Um, but this is just taking Sinai promises of blessing for obedience, thinking that they're very attractive, and so applying them directly to the Christian. But friends, Hagar is for Sinai, is for slavery, and you're not under Sinai. 
We're no longer in the physical land. We are in Christ. Every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ. And you have a place with him in the promised land of the new heaven and new earth. And you receive that by trusting Jesus. That's much better than health, wealth, and victory in Canaan. So you really want to go back to Sinai? Because you want to go back to Sinai, you can't take half. You've got to take the whole thing. If you take the whole thing, yes, there's physical blessing in the land if they obeyed, and there's also curse if they disobeyed. And you know how it worked out, right? Curse, 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 curse. Christ redeemed his Jewish people from the curse of the law. He died to pay their curse to release them from it. Before you want to go back under that? Not only is it impossible, but actually when you think about it, it's very unattractive. To go back to the blessings and curses of Deuteronomy as a way of relating to God when you have the gospel, it's like going back to a slave when you're a son. Don't go back to Sinai Covenant as a way of relating to God. Now, fourthly, expect persecution from people who are in slavery. Paul tells us Isaac was persecuted by Ishmael. The early believers were persecuted by the Jews. Those who trust in Christ will be persecuted by those who, have to relate, who think they have to relate to God on the basis of law. That's just the reality. There are many people in this world who think they have to do instead of hearing God's promises and trusting him. Whole religious systems predicated on this. And friends, just as at that time he who was born of the flesh persecuted he who was born of the spirit, so it is now. Don't need to take a revenge or be surprised, just that's the way it is. Expect it and support your brothers and sisters who are affected by it. Finally, remember what Paul tells the Galatians to do? Cast out the slave woman. In other words, get rid of the false gospel that tells you you need to add to the finished work of Christ in order to be saved. For the Galatians, that meant don't listen to the false teachers who want to bring you back under the law of Moses. You must purge the purge their influence from among them. And for us, we, must too, we too must be vigilant. Must be careful not to let a false teaching like this propagate among us. And where necessary, you must take decisive action. We must keep trusting in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. We must preach Christ and Christ alone for salvation. Guard your freedom in Christ and never again go back to slavery. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your spirit so that we know you as our Father. We are your children. Thank you that your Son has taken our sins. He has taken the curse that we deserve, that he has given us his righteousness, that we are justified by faith in him. Thank you for freeing us from the slavery of seeking our own salvation by doing. Thank you for the grace that you've shown us. Please help us, Father, to keep listening to your word 
and trusting your promises. Please help us to live day by day in this gospel, to never seek to win our acceptance with you by rule-keeping, but to trust fully in what Christ has done for us. Help us to be willing to suffer for the gospel, for we know that those who are in slavery will seek to persecute. Help us to take whatever decisive action is needed to guard this gospel and to guard the freedom that we enjoy in Jesus. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.